You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening and welcome to Genesis Unveiled. We're at the 12th installment and tonight's Parshat Vayichi. Vayichi means the life and it says that Yaakov lived 17 years in Egypt. And the Parsha is going to be about his passing away. And like uh, Parsha named after Sarah, it introduces it with saying that they lived when in fact the Parsha is about their passing away. But before Yaakov passes away, most importantly, he's going to be finishing up uh, unclosed business in the complicated family dynamics uh, between his sons. He's going to be addressing the status of Yosef's sons, and thereby the status of Yosef in the family. He's going to be addressing all of the brothers and giving each their own personalized blessing. He's going to secure his own legacy to make sure that he is buried in the land of Israel, and they bring him there. And then there will be, after he passes away, unfinished business between Yosef's brothers and himself. So let's jump in here. And it says Yaakov lived 17 years in Egypt. Uh, Parshat Vayesha, we talk about how Yaakov wanted peace and tranquility in the end of his life, and he wasn't ready for it yet. There would be another 20 years of turmoil. But it seems now, finally, he had achieved that, paradoxically, outside of the land of Israel. And as he is uh, getting older, he calls, and he's not well, he calls Yosef to his bedside. And he tells Yosef to bury him in Israel. Now, we see that going all the way back to Genesis, there is an important uh, idea to be buried in the land of Israel. Uh, One of the rabbis in the Talmud uh, kind of uh, uh, jeeringly said that all the people from outside of Israel are coming to Israel to die or be buried and are making the land impure. So they were somewhat critical of people who just kind of like, well, their love of Israel extended enough to have them buried there, but not live there. Um, But we see from uh, this week's Parsha with Yaakov and Yosef also insisting he be brought back to be buried in Israel, that there is a very strong idea uh, of being buried in Israel. There are Kabbalistic ideas that and the afterlife will uh, be, in a sense, smoother or uh, more connected if a person is buried in the land of Israel. And so today, many people, uh, many people do do that. Uh, he had Yosef swear to bury him. And that's kind of strange because uh, what does it mean? Does it mean that he didn't trust Yosef, that if he would simply promise that he would, wouldn't follow through? So later we see when Yosef makes the preparations, he goes to Pharaoh and he tells them that he swore to his father. So what the rabbis say is that Yaakov had him swear to make sure that Pharaoh would let Yosef leave the land because Yosef would go to Pharaoh and say, well, I swore to my father, so I have to go. And sure enough, Pharaoh does let him go. He promises to return, but there was definitely somewhat of a flight risk. So that's the significance of the oath. And so it says that sometime later, Yaakov was ill and Yosef brought his sons to him. Now, this is interesting because 
he brings his sons and he says, you know, who are these? And his eyes were weak, but who are these? He didn't recognize them. And it's kind of puzzling. How often did he see them? What was the relationship between Yosef and the rest of the family? They were living in Goshen. Yosef presumably was in, uh, in the capital. And it seems like they were not that close and didn't see them that much. Um, Yaakov says, Yosef, I didn't even think I would see you. And now I am blessed to see your children. So this is real nachas, real uh, fulfillment that he saw the next generation of his grandchildren from Yosef and that he never even thought had survived. And so what he does, though, is first of all, he says, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasha, are like mine. And they will be called by their own name in their inheritance, meaning they're promoted to the status of full tribe. This isn't just a one-off given to Yosef. This has very wide-sweeping significance, which is that the firstborn gets a double portion. So in effect, Yaakov is giving a double portion to Yosef. And in effect, what he's doing is he is giving the final validation of Yosef's dreams. Because the question is, who is the most prominent in the family? Is it Ruvain, the firstborn to Leah? And will it become Yehuda? Uh, and we'll see why in the blessings, or Levi. Um, so it seems that Yosef is given that prominence and given that double portion through his two sons becoming tribes. So in effect, there are actually, how many tribes of Israel? This is a uh, stumper. There are actually 13 tribes of Israel, not 12. 12 were given different portions of the land, and then the Levites were spread out throughout country. So when he comes uh, after promoting them and giving them this special inheritance, then he calls them to bless him. And this setup is very reminiscent of the whole story of Isaac. His eyes were weak. He couldn't see them. He brings them close. He hugs them. And it says he blessed Yosef. Now, he's not blessing Yosef. He's blessing his sons. But in effect, he's blessing Yosef uh, through his sons. And he says the famous line, the angel who guarded me from all Israel, Hamalach Hagol Otimi Kolra, may he bless these uh, lads, these young men, and call my name upon them and the name of my fathers, and may they increase in the land. And um, we see, first of all, the concept of the guardian agent angel. And first he invokes God, then he invokes the angel, and he is invoking it that they should have this blessing as well, that they should uh, be protected and increased. And what happens is that, and here is the significant scene that Yaakov switches his hands. It says, Yosef put the older one, Menashe, to Yaakov's right, the young one, Ephraim, to Yaakov's left. Yaakov switches his hands. Yosef tries to push them back, which is also interesting that uh, he would have the audacity to do that, but he thought his father was making a mistake. But what in effect was he doing? He says to him, uh, Yadati b'ni yadati. 
I know my son. I know what I am doing. And what is he doing? He is promoting the younger over the older, starting with himself, with Yitzchak over Ishmael. And we had um, Yaakov being promoted, the younger one, over Esau. Yosef, in a sense, over the other brothers. And now we have the fourth generation of, in effect, what is saying meritocracy. He says, don't worry, Menashe will be great, but Ephraim will be even greater. So he saw some potential in Ephraim that was even greater and that needed to be promoted. And so, um, and then he says, um, in you, Israel, we blessed, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Menashe. So he's saying, in you will Israel be blessed. This is how you give a blessing. Friday night, the blessing we give to our sons uh, is this. And the daughters, we give a blessing. May you be like Sarah, uh, uh, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. Rachel and Leah, uh, like the matriarchs. But to the boys, we give a blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh. Why? The one very beautiful explanation I heard is that, as we know, we had conflict for so many generations between siblings. When this blessing is switched, we have no indication of a conflict between Ephraim and Manasseh. And so the brothers lived in harmony. They accepted each one having their own place. And so in a sense, we're blessing our children that they should be in harmony with their siblings. Not always an easy task. And the uh, the tension, though, we'll see, will continue between the sons of Leah and the sons of, um, of Rachel. And in the future, Ephraim will be the most prominent of the tribes in the 10 northern tribes in the kingdom of Israel, uh, which will be, in a sense, the nemesis, the juxtaposition to the southern kingdom of Yehuda, which is the children of Leah, the northern kingdom led by the children of Rachel. So uh, that's going to continue, and we'll more about that a little later. So then Yaakov ends this encounter with Yosef and his grandsons, and he says that he is going to be uh, passed on, and he re-emphasizes that he wants to be buried in Israel, but he says to Yosef, I am giving you a special gift, regardless of the double portion. I'm giving you Shechem. Remember, Shechem is the portion of Israel that Yaakov himself bought firsthand. And that also is bequeathed to Yosef, also showing Yosef's prominence and also um, has become a flashpoint of Yosef's tomb was destroyed during one of the Intifada. Uh, Jews still try and go to pray there, but need army accompaniment. And they do it specifically to show that this is our holy spot that we have a right to. So, so that scene is finished. And it says that before Jacob dies, he gathers his sons and he tells them, come, I will tell you what will be in the after time. Achrit hayamim. And the rabbis say that Yaakov wanted to reveal the, the end, the messianic epoch to his sons, but God removed his divine promise. God hid that from him. And so the end was not meant to be revealed. Instead, what does he do? 
He gives a blessing to each of his sons. And the blessings, some of them we're going to highlight. Uh, Ruven, he rebukes for being uh, too unstable. And he, uh, it's a veiled reference to him not sticking up for Yosef and saving him. And also a reference to an incident that happened uh, after Rachel passed away with Jacob's bed. But Ruvain, it's clear, will not, in a sense, have the most prominent role in the tribe. Shimon and Levi, the dynamic duo we've talked about, he uh, curses their anger. Remember the destruction of Shechem? He, once again, he doesn't tell them what they did was wrong, but he said it was impulsive, it was rash, and they had a tendency towards violence. And he said, I will divide them amongst Israel. Why? Maybe because they're too volatile and too dangerous. So Shimon is put in the middle of the tribe of Judah, landlocked, so to speak, and that probably is to contain them, Judah being one of the strongest and largest tribes. And Levi is spread amongst Israel. They, as we said, will not get a geographical inheritance. They will live in all the different cities. So they're spread out throughout the land. And uh, Yehuda is given the blessing of kingship. Uh, the staff will not be removed from Yudah until Shiloh comes. What is Shiloh? Shiloh, Shiloh, the one that is his, the one that is God's. It's a veiled reference to the Messiah, saying that the kingship dwells in Yudah and will be revived in Judah. Remember, King David is a descendant of Judah, was who was the Davidic kingship line, and that the Mashiach will also be, have to be from the line of David. And Yosef, he gives a special blessing to of the bounty of the land. Yosef, once again, being the one who's the provider, also talks about um, the blessing that comes through him. That's what it means. So, uh, but he does give a blessing to each of the sons. We're not going to go to each one in detail, but you can read it for yourself. And then it says, when he finished blessing them, he perished, he passed away. And Yosef weeps, and then he gets them together. He commands his servants. They embalm Jacob, which is very interesting, because generally Judaism does not allow for embalming. But preparations needed to take time to bring them to the land of Israel. He gets permission from Paro, as we said, and they bring him up, and in the border of Israel, they mourn for seven days, which is the source of the seven-day Shiva period. And it says he was buried in Marat HaMachpelah, in the double cave where, uh, that Avraham had bought. So he was joined with his, uh, with his father and with his The Parsha ends with a very puzzling and troubling scene. Uh, because after that time when Jacob had passed away, the brothers come to Yosef and they tell him, do not hold the grudge against us. And uh, they say that Yaakov told us to tell you, okay, they're saying, this is what our father told us to tell you, that after he passes away, don't hold a grudge against us and don't take out 
don't bring bad upon us, but we ask you to forgive us, but you should forgive them for the offense that they did. Uh, and they call themselves their servants, your servants, the servants of God and of our forefathers. So what the Talmud says, did Jacob tell them to tell Joseph this? Why didn't he tell Joseph this himself? And did the brothers have a reason to suspect that Joseph might have this grudge, that he might be dangerous, that after all these 17 years, Joseph was just waiting, like Asaph had waited, that he was going to wait for his father to die before letting it out on his brothers? Okay. So first of all, the Talmud says that this is an example that Yaakov never said this, but in, there are times where you're allowed to lie for the sake of peace. And this is the example the Talmud gives for lying for the sake of peace, to keep peace between the brothers. Of course, for the brothers, it was also to protect themselves. But why would they suspect that Joseph was dangerous? He had taken care of them. He had, provide, he had provided for them. He'd given them gifts. He brought them down there. So this is perhaps what was going on. Yosef had already told them he forgave them. But as we mentioned, the brothers never asked Yosef for forgiveness and never apologized. So um, there's something in psychology called projection. The brothers never apologized. They still feel guilty for what they did so they projected their guilt upon Yosef. If we feel guilty, he must still have it out for us. And we see that this was all in their minds because sure enough, uh, Yosef cries. It puts him to tears that they should still suspect him. But also it might show us that the brothers had not had that much contact in the last 17 years. But um, Yosef says, am I like God? In other words, am I the one who's going to be judgmental and exact judgment? And he repeats what he told them when he revealed himself. You intended this for bad, but God brought it about for the good. And by the way, he does kind of put it in front of them again, of the bad that they did to him. But then he says... I will support you. And he comforted them and he spoke to their hearts. That's what it said. He'd already forgiven him. He didn't even need to forgive them again. And the brothers finally now are asking to be forgiven. But it leads us to think that when Yosef revealed himself, it says he could not hold back. Whereas before it says he held himself back when, uh, when they talked about their father, he ran out of the room, he cried, he came back. But this last scene with them, when he revealed himself, he could not hold back, which implies that he might have wanted to hold himself back. Why? Because maybe there were more stages that the brothers needed to go through to do complete tshuva. And that's backed up by the fact that when Joseph reveals himself, they never apologize. Fine, he forgives them. And they're overwhelmed by this reality, but still, they should have. So, Yosef uh, reassures them, 
and tells them that he will support them. And it says he passed away at 110 years. And he got to see his grandchildren through Ephraim and Manasseh. And it also says, he said to his brothers, he asked them to promise that he too will be brought back up to the land, back up to Israel, after he passes away. Now, they don't do it right away. And it says he too was put in an, uh, an aron, in a casket. And the Midrash tells us that when all the Jews were leaving Egypt, and they all were running around getting the gold and the precious items of the Egyptians, Moshe was retrieving Yosef's casket, which was sunk into the Nile River, and the casket was brought to them throughout the 40 years of traveling in the desert. And so that promise will be fulfilled in the past. And so we have the end of the Nehemiah. We have the end of the generation of the patriarchs, of the generation of the Shvatim, of the tribes. And in the beginning of Exodus, there will be a new king who arises who does not know Yosef. And we can't but wonder that if Yosef had still been alive, would the oppression have been able to begin? And according to many, the Jews were in Egypt 210 years. Uh, Yosef was 30, lived to 110. That leaves another um, 80 years. 80, 210 minus 80, uh, 130. And many believe that the, uh, some of the brothers lived another 50 years, and the actual slavery started uh, and lasted for 80 years. So um, the generation finally dies, the brothers die, and as we said, things will turn bad. Tune in next week. We will be continuing with Exodus Unveiled. Have a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.